This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, coming to you from Wadundjeri Land, and this is the Full Story Newsroom Edition, where Guardian editors discuss the news of the week. Labor has opened the door to reforming superannuation, proposing a law to ensure that the money is saved for Australians' dignified retirement. We will try and end the super wars once and for all and make sure that the future changes to the system are compatible with the main objective of super. And it's weighing up whether to rein in tax breaks for the wealthy, which cost the budget billions of dollars, and instead put that money into things like education or housing. It's opened up a can of worms. Jim Chalmers is looking to raise taxes wherever he can. We've got a big spending, big taxing Labor government. And of course, what Labor doesn't want to recognise is that superannuation money is the members' money. They own it. Today I'm talking to Editor-in-Chief Lenore Taylor and Live News Editor Patrick Keneally about what superannuation is for, personal gain or national good. It's Friday, 24th of February. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Good morning, Lenore. Morning, Jane. Good morning, Patrick. Morning, Jane. Treasurer Jim Chalmers this week opened a big conversation about the possible reforms to superannuation. What are some of the things he's flagging? Okay, so the main thing he is flagging is some small changes to rein in the tax concessions applying to superannuation at the very, very high end of the spectrum. So right up at the sort of stratospheric rich end of the galaxy, there are about 11,000 Australians who have more than $5 million in superannuation and they get an enormous amount of the tax concessions that are costing the budget, you know, billions of dollars a year. And so what Chalmers is suggesting, hinting at, sort of flying as a bit of a trial balloon is maybe we should cap the level at which you can get those tax concessions at, say, $3 million in your superannuation fund. It wouldn't apply to that many people. It would, at least in the short term, bring in revenue to the budget because the government would not be giving those concessions, although there's not a direct line there because people at that end of the spectrum have tax advisors and wealth advisors and everything else, so they're probably going to kind of change their finances. But whatever, there's a big saving, but I think he said about a billion dollars, from just changing the tax concessions at the very, very, very top end of the spectrum, sort of at 
super balances that I think most people in this room would only ever dream about. <laughs> but cue, everyone loses their minds. Yeah, and so just to be clear, that cap would apply to super balances that are, you know, the government has nominated $3 million. And what that would mean is that over $3 million, you are no longer getting earnings from all those investments taxed at the concessional rate, which is about 15%, mm. I think. Which Instead, you would pay... Which will note is a lot less than the tax yeah, rate. Yeah, a lot Particularly less than at that end yeah, of the spectrum. Yeah. So someone who's got that much money is likely to be in a high tax bracket, probably around the top marginal rate, which I think is about 45%. So people are making a big tax saving on, on those big accumulations mm. of tax. And you've got to wonder, when you've got $5 million or more in super, that average life expectancy in Australia is around 80 years, you can get your super around 60. That's a huge amount of money that you have to spend every year. And what the government's replacing with $3 million, you still got a huge amount of you're going to be okay. You're, you're going to be, be okay. Right. I think yeah. you can take an annual cruise yeah, with that kind of income. You're cool. yeah, 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 you're going to be fine. I mean, a lot of the debate around super reforms this week has really hinged on what we think superannuation is actually for. And the major parties have pretty different views on that based on their different political ideologies. So what should super be used for? Well, the point of super, the point of super when Paul Keating set it up as treasurer was to help and encourage people to save for their own retirement. The public policy reason for offering those very generous concessions was so that people could provide for themselves and it would take the pressure off the age pension. That's what it's for. But I think the coalition over time has sort of tried to put across the idea that it's really just like an offsets account, you know, like you save it and you can dip in for lots of different reasons, you know, if you're sick, if you want to buy a house, whatever else. But of course, that subverts its actual purpose because the whole point is if you start saving that amount early in your career, the wonders of compound interest means that by the time you retire, you'll have enough to retire on, or, you know, not everybody, but many people will have enough to retire on. So I really think this is where the waters are getting muddied and the political backlash is happening. You know, Stuart Robert, the shadow assistant treasurer, said this week that early access to superannuation was about providing dignity. He said, what can be more dignified than Australians getting early access to super because they're 26 weeks unemployed and they've got a family? What can be more dignified than Australians getting early access to super for their medical needs. Well, I don't know, maybe having sufficient unemployment benefits that you can live through a period of unemployment and also not live in penury when you're old, or maybe having decent health care so that you can actually, you know, live through a health crisis and also live when you're old. You know, like I think the government, in order to sort of have this debate, really needs to bring things back to what is this public policy for? Why are we providing these tax concessions to everybody to save? What is the purpose of the policy? And that is a debate that they've opened up this week. It kind of runs along very strong ideological dividing lines. The coalition has always been opposed to compulsory superannuation mm -hmm. or parts, elements of the coalition. And I found it funny or interesting looking back at the history of super in a bit of preparation for this podcast and, you know, compulsory payments for retirements have a very long history going back to the 1880s and Otto von Bismarck, that great, you know, liberal. Oh, wow, back to Bismarck. <laughs> Bismarck, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, he, uh, he introduced compulsory payments for, for people's retirement. It's been around a long time, the idea, but obviously in Australia it was under the Hawke-Keating government where it came in and 
you know, the purpose of it, which Chalmers is talking about defining, is the object of super is to preserve savings, to deliver an income for a dignified retirement alongside government support in an equitable and sustainable way. So sounds that doesn't sound kind of reasonable, but it did prompt a bit of backlash from the AFR and among others who took that equitable and sustainable to mean that the government was going to take your money and invest it in a whole lot of. Yeah. Um, you know. And just to sort of go back to the point about the income distribution of, you know, where people's super balances lie, the former government released the retirement income review, which. And, and that was by Treasury bureaucrat Michael Callaghan, so not a, you know, not a well-known socialist. And it basically pinged the idea that the superannuation concessions were largely benefiting wealthy savers who could never in a million years pay or need or use the savings that they had accumulated. So, in effect, they were using a tax concession from the government to accumulate wealth, which they passed on to the next generation. And that wasn't the purpose of super. Super is not meant to be a wealth accumulation tool in that sense. It's meant to be providing for your own retirement. And I think that's sort of what Chalmers is Mm. going to with that definition, like what is this for? And that's why part of the reason the AFR is losing its mind for a couple of reasons, but part of it is that the very wealthy business people who read the AFR are using super as a wealth accumulation tool. And Stuart Robert was trying to make the argument that everybody gets treated the same under these super rules. That's just not not fundamentally true true because our super system really gives Mm -hmm. the most benefit to those who contribute the most and that's likely to be wealthy people. And some of the commentators are now coming back in and saying cutting the concessions or cutting the amount of super that can qualify concessions is equivalent to a death tax, which is really, you know, turning the whole argument on its head. It's basically assuming we rich people have the right to use government-provided tax concessions to sock away as much money as we possibly can and if you pair them back at all to kind of recreate the purpose of the policy, that's a death tax. I mean, it really is putting the whole thing into upside-down land. Mm. And also just going back to the inequity point, I think there's been a long-running argument about how to boost women's superannuation incomes because on average they're below that of men for many reasons. We know that they're paid less on average than men. So, again, with the Indigenous super balances at the age of 65, an Indigenous man will have an average super balance of 300,000, whereas a non-Indigenous it's 480,000. There is a huge argument for reining in the tax concessions at the top end of the super Mm. system to make it equitable for everyone. And those discrepancies are sort of examples of the point about why not earning super early in your career for a period of time or draining your super as the coalition allowed people to do during the pandemic, for instance, as they want to allow people to do for a home deposit. Why even what seems like a relatively small amount of super that you take out early on becomes a really big difference in your ultimate retirement income because you haven't had that accumulation of wealth and the compound interest over time. It just makes such a big difference and it's such a bad idea. The Treasurer also used a speech on super to pension fund managers on Monday to argue that super should be, quote, equitable and sustainable. What is he talking about there? He went into this a bit more deeply in his essay for the monthly, which he wrote over summer. He wrote that this huge pool of funds that's uh, invested... Like $3 trillion. $3 trillion. Around 6% of GDP apparently goes mm. into actually our superannuation system. It's, it's a massive pot of money. 
his argument was this could be used to solve or help solve some of the big challenges of our time, like providing aged care, providing the infrastructure that we need, and put that money to work in ways that actually contributed to nation building. But this has upset some people, I guess, who argue that the sole purpose of investments of super should be to provide returns for their members. Mm, But I think they're probably reading something into it that is not necessarily there. I mean, I would completely agree with the idea that my super fund should invest my savings in a way that gets a really great return. But if the government can structure policy so that super funds can earn good, solid, long-term returns for their members while also investing in things that are good for society, then I don't get what the problem with that is. So I just don't think the two things are necessarily incompatible. And if you take just one example, if the government enacted policy which made it really profitable for super funds to invest in, say, build for rent housing and provided really long-term rental contracts to people who lived in them, then we would be using our collective super savings to both get good returns because that would be the way the policy was structured and also start to solve the housing crisis as opposed to what the coalition is suggesting, which is that individuals take out their individual super savings to invest in their individual house, which just drives up the price of housing and makes the housing crisis worse. I mean, I just think if you look at this with a little bit of creativity, I think it could be absolutely possible for the government to structure policy to encourage, not force, but encourage or lay the groundwork for super funds to invest in things that would help society. I really don't think this is a dumb idea. And look, many of them already do. Uh, Mm. You know, when you see big infrastructure assets up for sale, it's often, you know, super funds or overseas super funds, like Canadian teachers, pension funds, funds, massive buyer of Australian assets. And we have super funds buy highways and ports overseas. Yeah, exactly, and railways and and so on. And you think of something like solar farms or wind farms, again, a a great investment for a super fund because you're going to get returns over a 20, 30-year cycle. And, you know, if you get governments setting up markets in ways that deliver solid long-term returns, they're they're a win-win situation. And also the other argument in favour of super funds investing in these type of assets is if they don't, you're essentially having a whole lot of money chasing the same assets in, you know, the stock exchange or or equities market. So, Well, which is why so much of our super is invested overseas because there's just not enough stuff in Australia to buy with it. But, you know, on the built to rent thing, I just, it just seems to make so much sense to me, that kind of idea. Because if you look at somewhere like Germany, which has a structure which encourages institutional investment in rental housing and private investment in rental housing with, you know, you have very long-term stable leases. It also has a comparatively stable housing market and comparatively stable house prices. I mean, if you did it smart, I think you could use this massive asset that has been built up that we all own in a way that is good for us individually and also good for us collectively. That goes back to ideology though, doesn't it? Because you can frame the debate that way as being these two things are not mutually exclusive, helping other people while helping yourself. Or you can see it as Sky News put it, which is the government pillaging our superannuation to fund, quote, you know, government pet projects such as social housing. It's about whether you see social housing. I think housing. that was Angus Taylor called it pet projects as well. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Look, I think there's ideology there, but also I think there's a strong populist strand to that argument where it's, you know, people have spent years working, putting money into super and, 
you know, they're worried and it's very easy to appeal to that kind of mentality. It's your money. The government shouldn't be touching it. You put your money into super under the rules that their government keeps on messing with these rules. But, you know, the reality of what Chalmers is proposing is that it's really only going to affect a few people at the very high end of this. Most mm. people, the rules will not, not change. change at all. Yeah. And the investment thing could actually be beneficial to, you know, every man if you did things that were collectively helpful. Mm. I mean, the last time Labor opened the door to a conversation before the budget was around axing stage three tax cuts, which it has confirmed it won't be going ahead with at least this year. How does super reform compare politically? Well, I mean, I think it is another trial balloon and you're right, trial balloons don't always make it. Sometimes they get shot out of the sky like a Chinese spy balloon. Um, (laughs) But Albanese, the difference this time is Albanese did back Chalmers in. He said there wouldn't be big changes, but yes, it was time to look at the sustainability of the system. So I think this balloon is still flying. Well, Labor says it's trying to have, you know, a sensible debate on policy. It's changing the national conversation on matters of policy more broadly. It's trying to move beyond the 24-hour news cycle is what Albanese said at the National Press Club on Thursday. It's also an easy way, I suppose, to test the popularity, you know, fly those balloons before committing to a specific path for reform. We've spoken on this podcast before about the need for nuance. So what role does the media play in shaping these kinds of policy debates as they're playing out like this week? I think one fundamental role that the media has is to explain what's at stake. Superannuation policy is quite complicated by its nature. So one thing that we've done this week is get an explainer by Paul Carp in Canberra, which explains some of the basic bits of the argument that we're talking about. I think also having Greg Jericho explain it as well through a series of graphs. And he, he's written a piece this week that just outlines in, in really clear terms about how much advantage goes to that top end of people who hold very large superannuation balances. So I think kind of elucidating the argument, explaining what's at stake, rather than just defaulting to partisan lines. Yeah, absolutely. And But also sort of picking apart what's being said. So, you know, one of the things that the coalition is saying is that this would amount to a broken promise by the government. And to an extent, that's true. They did say they wouldn't be looking at it before the election. But then when you move on to the rest of what the coalition is saying, as we've just discussed in this conversation, listeners will see that a lot of it is just not factual or not substantiated by facts. The idea that this is a death tax, is it just really doesn't hold up to scrutiny. So I think having a measured scrutiny of what's being said is also really important. Next, rezoning and rewriting children's classics. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. 
And now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Lenore, what's the story that you've been thinking about lately? I was really taken with an investigation we published this week or in the process of publishing through the week and over the weekend by Anne Davies and also Lisa Cox, looking into a whole lot of issues and questions around land rezoning and housing developments on the outskirts of Sydney. Uh, you know, the, the top line was that the New South Wales government fast-tracked rezoning for about 13,000 houses on the fringe of Sydney in an area that's sensitive koala habitat that has pretty much no public transport, inadequate water supplies and, you know, just very poor planning. The department's advice was it wasn't needed for housing supply until 2036. It's being fast-tracked to sort of get up and going quicker than you can get a renovation done on your suburban backyard. So, I mean, it's a very involved and incredible um, investigation. And then Lisa Cox is looking at that whole question of how they are offsetting or compensating for the loss of koala habitat. But the whole thing raises a lot of questions and I would recommend it. Mm. Patrick? Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Roald Dahl and the books of my childhood with the controversy over Roald Dahl. What was your favourite? Publisher of the Roald Dahl books. Mm. I actually loved when I was a teenager his actual autobiography, Flying oh, really? Solo and other ones about his life, early life. But the controversy is over his publisher rewriting bits of his books to remove outdated and offensive terms in there. And it kind of is a clash between these books that we love so much as children and, you know, modern sensitivities, I guess, and where the line should be drawn between leaving text as it was originally or should you put a preface to it, denoting that these terms are outdated and offensive, or or rewriting them? And where does that line begin and end? Um, I don't know the answer to it, but uh, certainly there were really big problems with Roald Dahl. He was a raging anti-Semite. Yeah, some of the terms are are offensive. He loved describing people as ugly and fat, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it also raises a lot of questions about the use of language for children's literature, right? So what are the kind of terms that we want our children to be raised thinking are okay or not? And what are the sort of stories that resonate with them? And and how do you keep those stories alive while perhaps not encouraging those terms to be continued to be used? I mean, I think that's the thing, though. We're having this conversation as if it's going to be up to us or our generation to decide. But actually, if you try and read Enid Blyton or The Magic Pudding to kids these days, the language is so outdated that they don't even want to listen to it. So, you know, in order, you could either let those sorts of stories go quietly out of print or maybe updating them is a way to keep the essence of the story alive. I mean, it is a really interesting question. Thank you, Lenore. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. That's it for today. If you want to find out more about the debate on superannuation reforms, you should check out political reporter Paul Karp's Explainer. We'll link to that in the show notes. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannon. Our theme music is by Joe Koning. The executive producer for this episode was Miles Martignoni. We'll be back with a regular episode of Full Story for you on Monday. I'm Jane Lee. Catch you then. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra hydrating body care features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed powered heroes use skincare level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.